Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Constanji Brooks Smith & Profit, where we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silverman. Sherry, today I want to talk Title VII. There have been a couple of interesting cases that have come up through the year, as well as some ongoing public debate. So it seems like a great time to do a little refresher in this area. Title Seven. I have to say you are leading with some strong legalese that doesn't <laughs> sound nearly as interesting as it truly is. So just to make sure our listeners are on the same page. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is one of the principal federal statutes prohibiting employment discrimination. It prohibits discrimination based on race, color, national origin, religion, and sex, which includes gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity. It covers most private employers with 15 or more employees, as well as numerous governmental entities. Right. And as we mentioned on a previous episode, it's thanks to the Supreme Court's decision earlier this year regarding three consolidated cases, um, which included RG and GR Funeral Homes Inc. versus EEOC and Bostick versus Clayton County, that we can now confidently add the last two categories of sexual orientation and gender identity as categories that are protected under Title VII. Further, pregnancy is also a protected class due to the Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978, which amended Title VII. Right. And Title VII prohibits discrimination, harassment, and retaliation on the basis of these characteristics or exercising rights under the statute. And we could break it down even Um, farther into common theories under Title VII, like disparate treatment, which occurs when a a company treats one applicant or employee differently than a similarly situated applicant or employee because of that individual's protected status. You know, another common theory is disparate impact, which is generally a more subtle allegation of unlawful conduct that occurs when a seemingly Neutral policy or practice unduly disadvantages certain protected classes. Just for example, uh, physical strength tests are facially neutral, but they may have a disparate impact on women. Right. And there are certainly other iterations of Title VII claims, but I think that should give everyone a good idea of how these claims commonly come up and how you and I commonly see them. I agree. I think we've set the stage. So let's move into some real world examples. That is a great idea. But I bet that many of our listeners have heard some variation on a Title VII presentation before. So today I want to make it a bit more fun. And I would like to call this uh, segment Ms. Manners meets Title VII. So I want to describe a scenario, and I would like to have you tell me if it is illegal or ill-mannered. Do you see what I did there? Mm, I love it. (laughs) All right. Let's hear the first scenario. All right. We're going to start out big. Our listeners may have heard of COVID-19 once or twice. Yeah, or too many times. (laughs) 
Yes. And our listeners are also well aware of the ongoing social justice movement related to racism, of which the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement is a part. Also, yes, I'm pretty sure they have. So let's talk about where these two things intersect. So let's say there is an employer which has a policy preventing employees from wearing any clothing with a non-company logo or slogan on it, including political slogans. Which is quite a common and generally, generally lawful policy. Right. But let's say that you also have a group of employees who organize a group to wear hashtag Black Lives Matter or BLM masks while they're on the clock in front of the customers in order to show their support for the movement. Um, In terms of race, age, and sex, this group is very mixed. It has men and women. It has um, white people, black people, other racial backgrounds. It has people over 40 and people under 40. All right. I can get in on this one. I assume the company is supportive of the social justice movements generally, um, but I bet they're taking the position that wearing a mask that says Black Lives Matter violates the dress code. In my hypothetical, yes. Um, And the employees are taking the position that forbidding the wearing of these masks and Any discipline of employees for wearing these masks, like sending those employees home for the rest of the day, is a Title VII violation because it relates to race, which is obviously a protected class. All right, let's be real here. I'm going to call you out. You're not making this scenario up. You're... (laughs) Sorry, you're describing the broad strokes of a lawsuit that's recently been filed. Yeah, I absolutely stole this scenario. Keeping it real here. (laughs) Well, last I heard, the company said that this is not race-based discrimination because the discipline of employees wearing these masks is not discriminatory because it's not based on the race of the individuals being disciplined. In fact, people of various races are being disciplined equally. So, Sherry, do you want to go on the record here and take a guess as to how this one will shake out? Is this illegal? You know, my, my decision is not binding. So, sure, I will go out <laughs> on the record. Uh, you know, here, here are my thoughts. They had a non-discriminatory dress code policy in place. So that's a good fact for the employer. And they're assume, I'm assuming they're enforcing this against everyone wearing something with a slogan on it, not just items that say Black Lives Matter. Further, it it sounds like the discipline is not focused on Black employees or other racial minorities. So while there might be some facts we don't know yet that could have an impact on this analysis, I think the employer has a pretty solid defense to the racial discrimination allegations. It will be a fun one to watch. Um, Let's see. Let's do another really common scenario that we hear about frequently. What about the supervisor who is a jerk? Like, she is awful to everyone. She calls all her subordinates idiots. She bullies both men and women. No one can get anything right. I mean, this woman is is a piece of work. Is this an example of unlawful harassment? So she's what I would call an equal opportunity bully. 
Um, now, being a jerk using gender neutral language or tactics isn't sex harassment that violates Title VII because she's treating men and women equally and equally badly in this scenario. There's, a, there's actually a South Carolina case where a female supervisor had a reputation of being rude to everyone. And the court said that although the supervisor's comments toward and interactions with the employee were rude and inappropriate, they were no different than those directed at male employees and did not in themselves reflect bias or animus based on gender. So your ruling here is ill-mannered, not illegal under Title VII. I guess my ruling was vague. Yeah, yes. And uh, just to be clear, I absolutely don't condone such behavior. And there are some states that have anti-bullying statutes, which would make it unlawful. But it's not illegal under Title VII. Obviously, there are certain scenarios where a supervisor will make rude comments that are also discriminatory at the same time. And those could support a claim. Oh, let's go there. Let's say our horribly rude supervisor is horribly rude only to people with a darker skin color or perhaps people who were born outside the United States. She constantly uses offensive terms and racial slurs. While all of this is, of course, fact-specific, we could be heading into national origin or color discrimination or harassment territory, right? Yes, it could. If a supervisor is treating a group of less you know, favorably based on skin color or country of birth, that's a classic discrimination scenario. But while we're at it, let's spin this scenario another way. Let's oh, of say, course. <laughs> I know. Right? We're just spinning all around. And let's say our terribly rude supervisor, I think we need to give her a name at this point. Um, what do you think? Sally? There was a hurricane. So, or um, Karen, whatever. Karen is, yes. Um, let's go with that. Is absolutely horrible to one employee and one employee only. Manisha. Manisha is from India, but the supervisor treats other employees who were born in India just fine. Manisha, however, just grates on this supervisor's nerves. They butt heads, and the supervisor tells Manisha she's an idiot, she's incompetent, she's a loser, you know, etc., all sorts of things. But none of the supervisor's derogatory comments mention Manisha's race or her country of birth. Uh Karen really needs some training. <laughs> well, whether or not it's illegal to call a subordinate stupid, it's it's obviously poor leadership. And we are here to tell everyone that companies lose great employees when supervisors act like that. That's the truth. But is this example illegal or just ill-mannered? Well, as courts have repeatedly said, Title VII is not a general civility code. So rudeness that is not related to a protected characteristic is not illegal or generally actionable without more. And a personality conflict doesn't necessarily mean there is discrimination present. Sometimes people just don't see eye to eye. However, this is always, always going to be a fact-specific analysis depending on what is said, by whom, about whom, and with what frequency. And, of course, keep in mind that generally mean comments could be added to the pile of, of discriminatory behavior to beef it up. Agreed. 
All right, let's let's pivot for a moment here. And for the last segment of our show, I would like to meld our typically odd or amusing anecdote with our main segment. And well, do you know where that leaves us, Sherry? Um, I don't know, politically incorrect, probably. <laughs> well, yes, probably, because we are going to talk about things that should never, ever be said in the workplace. Yes, PSA, legal advice, all at the same time. Let's let's go. I'm going to start with a personal story. When I was super pregnant with my first child, I appeared in court with one of our male colleagues. He said something to me about how, I don't know, people often view a pregnant woman's stomach as public property, something like that. Anyway, I had literally just finished saying, oh, I don't get that much, when the court clerk for our judge, came up and started rubbing my belly with both hands. I mean, I'm a hugger, but I don't particularly like being groped by strangers. Um, I think my jaw dropped, and there might have been tears of mirth in our colleague's eyes as he died laughing. Um, (laughs) And yes, I still nailed the oral argument. Thank you very much. I mean, that would certainly make me put my game face on, too. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm sure my experience is not unique. Many of our listeners have heard things or seen things that made them cringe. So that's where I want to go and how I want to end our segment with a list of eight things you should never, ever say in the workplace. Uh, Yeah, I've got plenty of examples, but... Um, are we still, am I still going to opine on whether it's illegal or ill-mannered as we go through them? Because this is- Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Let's start the game. In at number eight is, did you meet the new employee? What's her, his name? Oh, I mean, its name. Ouch. Not, not good. I think you're referring to an employee who identifies as transgender or- perhaps non-binary or gender fluid, and a coworker is referring to this individual with the intentional misuse or disregard for that employee's chosen pronoun. This would certainly be illegal gender discrimination if it happens frequently and interferes with that employee's ability to work. I mean, lawsuits have been filed where the plaintiff alleges that they have been repeatedly what I'll call as being misgendered by coworkers. Yes. And this scenario is also a good example of why it's a great idea to have some solid diversity and inclusion training in your workplace. Okay, back to the list. Number seven, any comments about a coworker's size? This includes commenting about someone's weight or for pregnant women, any variation on the theme of are you having twins or you look like you should have backup lights and be beeping. <laughs> okay, I'm going to assume we're talking about, you know, a lot of weight as opposed to losing weight. But really, um, all of this is fact specific and none of it, you know, some of it's just none of it's appropriate. But you really need to know whether it's an isolated comment or a regular thing as it could contribute to a harassment or hostile work environment claim. Generally speaking, I, I think I'm going to put this primarily in the ill-mannered category. Um, However, you want that person to comment on your waiter appearance? I don't think so. So I suggest you refrain from talking about his or hers. 
Excellent point. On a um, weight or kind of size-related note, my example at number six is pointing to a pregnant woman's protruding belly button and calling it a turkey timer or imitating a pregnant woman's walk and yelling waddle waddle quack quack down the hallway at her (laughs) at the office. I mean, really any animal-related comments in the workplace. I'm laughing because it's absurd, not because it's funny. So please tell me you made those up. Sadly, I did not. I actually polled a group of lawyer moms in preparation for a presentation a couple years ago. And these were literally some of the examples of comments that were said to a pregnant lawyer, often by another lawyer who was a coworker. Oh, okay. Well, again, these types of comments at work might con- you know, contribute to a harassment or hostile work environment claim, depending on the facts. But either way, it is 100% rude and totally unacceptable. I agree. All right. Comment number five, telling an employee it's December, so you better answer all incoming calls with a, the greeting Merry Christmas or any other um, requirement of a greeting based on Christmas, Hanukkah, Easter. You see where I'm going with this one, Sherry? Okay. Yeah. The general rule is that you cannot discriminate against someone because of their religion or lack thereof. And employers must reasonably accommodate an employee's religious belief or practices unless doing so would be an undue hardship. And while I love the holiday season and all, uh, if you have an employee who's a practicing Jehovah's Witness, who is Jewish, or who subscribes to another belief system, and who feels that offering a greeting based on a religious holiday that violates their religious beliefs, that could create a claim for failure to accommodate under the, you know, under Title VII, if you require them to do that. I agree. And, you know, I'm realizing that my my personal experiences are perhaps showing through in my selection of examples, um, because number four is, again, from the files of things you shouldn't say to a pregnant woman. Comments like, you're lucky. Now you don't need to work. You can leave that to your husband. Or how can you possibly let someone else raise your child? You know, you and I both have children. Uh, I actually happen to have one pounding on my door. Hopefully you can't hear. And I think I can speak for both of us in saying that this type of comment is inappropriate and offensive. And it could certainly also be evidence of gender-based discrimination. And, you know, it really also falls into the category of things that aren't your business. Number three on our list is you're going to change your hairstyle to make it more professional, right? Again, it depends on the context, but uh, it doesn't sound good. And this could certainly be an issue of race or national origin discrimination. Let's say, for example, you're specifically speaking to an African-American female wearing cornrows or braids. There have been several lawsuits alleging that having such a policy, a policy prohibiting these hairstyles, results in unlawful discrimination because the policies have a disparate impact on certain protected categories. You know, it's also worth noting that several states have uh, recently implemented laws prohibiting discrimination based on natural or protective hairstyles that are associated with certain races. Okay, coming in at number two, and this category of comments really gets me. Um, it's, It's offhand comments that are 
casually derogatory or imply something negative about a protected group. For example, throwing like a girl is not a compliment. Um, Phrases like, that's so gay, which unfortunately was quite common to hear when I was in high school, is not an appropriate all-purpose phrase. Um, Things like, that's lame, is demeaning to people who have a physical disability. So these type of offhand comments obviously encompass more than just Title VII, of course, but what do you think, Sherry? Are they they thoughtlessly illegal or ill-mannered? You know, actually, you raise a good point because some of our listeners may be thinking, what about age? What about disability? Those are their own federal, protected by their own federal statutes. Um, So, but this is another example of something that is absolutely ill-mannered and yes, could also potentially be harassing. All right. And I saved this comment for last because I feel like it is a foundational PSA. Please don't ask, are you pregnant? (laughs) Just don't do it. If she wants you to know, or if you're her employer and she needs an accommodation or leave, she'll bring it up to you. Uh, Yeah, I'm into that. Stick with congratulations. And when in doubt, don't say anything. And it's really, it's not going to end well, most sometimes, (laughs) Um, if you're not sure. So, okay, you know, I really, on that note, I feel like we've really fulfilled our goal of providing practical advice with this last segment. We do try. Thank you for joining me today, Sherry. (laughs) My pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to make our typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be wonderful if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave us a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.